Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most informational, educational, and entertaining podcast for auto detailers. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. My name is Marshall Hill, and I'm your guide as we journey through the car care industry. You can find me on most platforms at Total Auto Solutions. If you're on TikTok, find me at Detail Supply App. Best way to get in touch, though, shoot me a text direct, 918-800-1188. Join today, uh, having a fun episode with this one, Nick. This is going to be bringing in David Fermani. Excited about that. Uh, Nick can be found awesome. uh, on Instagram at uh, HyperCleanNick. Best way to get in touch, though, shoot him an email, nick at vegasrides.com. David Fermani uh, is found on, on, well, just your name, right? People just search your name. They can Google search me and find a lot of, lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, best way to reach out. You sent me a, a phone number, 313-815-9460. But David, you're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I don't really, I have a page on Instagram. I don't really post. I don't very go, I don't go on there very often. I'm mostly on Facebook. Yeah. Got it. Got it. All right. So I am drinking tonight. Uh, hopefully uh, Nick will, will crack open a beer since uh, he, he had to run through some uh, <laughs> some construction sites. <laughs> I don't know if he Man. will. You need a blow-off beer? Uh, I'm drinking the no. uh, Expedition India Pale Ale from Adventure Brewing Company that uh, I got that's been kind of holding in the refrigerator for a certain time. And this beer was bought next door to Tango Mike's when I was there leading a correction uh, clinic and then how to uh, put on coating. Uh, Nick and I have cool. done correction coding trainings before we did it there in Vegas. So a lot of experience working inside a correction in the new models, but where did we all get started, right? This is always a fun one. Uh, we've heard from Nick multiple times, but uh, give us a 15 second repeat, Nick, and I'll jump over to David. Yeah, I started same way as everyone else probably or a lot similar. Uh, started in a wholesale environment, uh, seven inch DeWalt you know, 3M compounds and polishes that were so gritty, you could feel the grit in your finger and you went from there, you know, wool pads, seven inch and, you know, three and four step, you know, corrections to, to get something finished down. So I uh, went from there to, to the rest of my career, but that's where I got my start. My start was in that simple, you know, wholesaler, you know, rehabbing bad cars, you know, that, that I just got to grind down on and, and learn, actually the best way to learn, you know, here's a polisher. Here's a, here's, here's the white stuff and the pink stuff. That's what, that's what it was called to me. And that's exactly what I learned on. So same, same as a lot of people. So that was my start. David, what about you? What was the very first times that you got into correction or what we would say back in the day, buffing cars? 1990. Um, working at a car wash that opened up a detail shop that I eventually managed eventually owned, then sold. <laughs> um, so I started doing high volume stuff, dealer work, turn them and burn them stuff, uh, averaging three plus cars a day, two stepping them with wool foam and then hand waxing them. Or this is way before DAs existed, except if you had those big when buffers <laughs> you know, with the, the bottom on them. Um, now I couldn't even do, geez, now I'm spending at least a month on every car I do. So I've gone full circle from volume to high end. 
and everything in between. Yeah. All right. I love it. I, uh, I started also with, uh, when we got into rotaries, but it didn't start with the rotary first was the wonderful Porter cable. Oh. And, uh, the Porter cable was rocking and rolling, but then somebody told me, Hey, you can do it faster with this tool. Sure enough, I could. And it was a good old rotary that spun around really fast. And I had a lot of fun getting stuff out, uh, until there was those oopsies, but you know what? That's part of it. You got to have oopsies so that you know how far to take paint. Back then, right, paint was a little different than it is now. And we heard it even back then, quote, unquote, that paint then was different than it previously was. There was a moment where detailers had to go through a change from single stage to multiple stage, right? We only had single stage paint till, what was it, uh, 86, 87 through there. Then uh, clear coat started coming around. Uh, when you think of clear coat, from back, uh, let's just go when you, we started, and let's go the first five to ten years, right? There's early years. When you think of clear coats back then, David, compared to clear coats now when cars come out, how, how do you compare the two? You know, it's hard to say because, you know, back in the 90s, we didn't push limits of correction, quote-unquote, because it didn't exist. Um, you know, clean and shiny, take out scratches, hope you didn't burn it. We didn't know about holograms and, you know, we just, if you had a hologram, we didn't have DAs to finish down swirl free. So you just used more product, turned down your speed, kept your pad flat and you experimented until there was no more to your eye. Um, you know, prayed you never washed the car again. And, and that was it. Um, so times have changed. Um, I didn't really start learning the correction aspect until, you know, about 2000 when I joined detailing forums and that's when I kind of made fun of people going after that stuff spending hours and hours correcting panels and and now it's you know it's the opposite <laughs> so okay clear coats you think they're they're the same or different well they're different and um you know primarily I'm working on stuff every day from the 90s and early 2000s um you know my specialty is is taking care of a large collection of rare Porsches and a lot of cars are single stage and clear from the nineties, um, even some eighties stuff. Um, so I see a lot of, a lot of different things from that era. Um, you know, I, I'd say those, those cars are pretty healthy when it comes to paint, even though I've worked on some cars that are sub two mils and I've done full corrections on them. Um, nowadays people claim they have thin paints and, you know, some people say you can only correct them once. You're pushing it if you do more than that. You know, it, it all depends. I, I try to preach, you know, to people taking care of your car is the most important thing. So hopefully you don't need to do multiple corrections multiple times. I think um, there's plenty of people, David, that, that feel that clear coats have changed, right? There is less clear. There is less paint. Uh, Nick, what have, what have you experienced? Well, I'm pretty, pretty simple, similar to anybody else that, that detailed cars in the nineties, you know, you go back to early two thousands BMWs. I always tell people this, if you look at the E39 level of BMW, the hardness of the clear coat and the robustness of that paint system has not been really approached since then. Those are hard to cut. They're extremely robust. Now you might get some that are soft and had a different manufacturing, but I mean, if you get the hard ones, you'll know what I'm talking about. And those are, you know, those are extremely hard to deal with, but they also last. 
And this is the question everybody has to ask. David's taking care of cars from the 90s, but here's the great thing for David. They're still paint to take care of, right? <laughs> so what, what people are talking about with the modern systems and, and some of the, the things we can dive into today, the difference is they're not coming out of the factory with as much paint as David has on a 90s car. That's just a fact. Now, they may have, let's call it less clear coat on a 90s car, but, you know, they don't have the situation where they're starting out at 3.8 mils or 4.1 mils around the car now um, out of the factory. So one big cut could put that car in jeopardy because remember you're cutting away UV protectant. That's the first thing you cut away. And that first 10% of clear is most of the UV inhibiting properties that PPG and others put into the paint system. So this is where the risk is that if you make that really initial heavy cut, what you could be taking away is all the defense of the paint system. And that is very different from the early 2000s and late 90s. That wasn't how paint was put on the, on the car. Now everything is floating in the paint system and most of the benefit is at the top of that paint system. And that's directly from the manufacturers telling you that. That's not my opinion, that's what they say. Yeah, I've got documentation from a, a PPG sales rep uh, back when Ceramiclear was the big thing, you know, Mercedes and stuff like that. And yeah, he says the, uh, the UV inhibitors and the ceramic particles or, or you know, the hardness factor was in the, the top, you know, three microns. You know, you remove that, you're removing the hardness factor, the, the, the integrity yeah. of that. So, and, and, and David, David's right about that. I mean, look, PPG reps were pretty honest when you asked, talk to them. I don't know if they have as many reps today as they, they once did, but when you had, <laughs> they were too honest. Yeah. When you had, when you had a, a really good paint rep and they would tell you really inside information, the fact of the matter is this is where modern paint systems are. First of all, they're waterborne. They're not as robust. They're not as tough as a solvent borne system. Um, in my opinion, uh, after touching paints, uh, they don't bond as well. That would be my take of, of something doesn't get talked about as much. That's when you remember when you used to have, you had to wait 60 days to touch the car or X number of days to touch the car. Think about it. Now you can get one fresh off the line and, and cut on it. What's that mean? Does it mean the bonding is better? I don't know. I, I, I think that is always going to be up for debate, but I just, it's not like, it was always, all of it was better back in the day. We always, we all remember those Toyota paints that failed five minutes after getting on a car. So it's not like everything from the nineties was great. Okay. Let's not say it that way, but here's what, (laughs) there you go. Not everything was better, but they did have better paint systems for some cars like Porsche did a good job. Really back then, what you were looking at is the German cars. The German cars were putting really great. Audi always put a great, paint system together uh, and, and baked pretty hard on the surface. So I think now, and, and to bring it to, the, to, I think what we want to get to today, you do have to be more careful on a brand new car than you used to have to be, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and I think that's where we want to go to, because it, it's interesting where we're at in the industry. There is becoming a boiling point, right? We, we've talked over the years about the ceramic bubble that's bursting and the, you know, part of that bubble is starting to come out where, uh, you know, detailers are starting to really question how much correction is actually needed before we put down a protection. And we wanted to really focus on a new vehicle. 
right? I mean, we got a new vehicle that gets freshly delivered. David, I understand that you're, you know, mostly working on the older vehicles. You know, have you recently over the past years, uh, you know, had a new vehicle that's coming your path? Well, I get tons of them. I do a lot of new car preps. I did one last week or actually two weekends ago, a brand new uh, C8 Corvette. I've done so, probably 15 of them. Um, the paint is actually really nice and relatively defect-free, great to work with. Um, I love that paint. You know, it's great, great to, you know, great. So, to so in, in your opinion, um, you know, should we be going and hacking away uh, whether or not that's, you know, a, a very thorough, efficient hack, but either way, we're removing clear coat from a fresh new vehicle is that really the best thing for the vehicle itself, right? Let we we'll talk later in the pub and, you know, thanks for all your time tonight, you know, of some, some other, you know, reasons we should look out for the a customer, but let's think of just the automobile. Cause we're in the car care industry, right? I mean, it, it's not only the customer, but it's also that car. Is that the best thing for the car to go removing clear coat from a, a freshly brand new vehicle? you really have to know your customer and what their, their needs and wants are. That's ultimately your, your main focus. And then considering the car, you have to, you have to evaluate the car. You have to see how, how deep these defects are, how realistic it is to go after them, measure the paint, look at it, you know, examine it thoroughly. Um, it's always going to be a crapshoot when you're, when you're taking a buffer to paint always. Um, but you have to know your customer. Why go after something if the customer doesn't care? Is it going to see the difference? Okay. Uh, clear coat, Nick, what's your thoughts on, you know, is it safe on a brand new vehicle to be, you know, tearing down clear coat? Well, I was taught preservation. I, we've taken care of a lot of collections. Uh, you know, that's my background as I advanced in the industry from my beginning. And I, I don't believe First of all, I think with the abrasive technology we have now, with the pad and polish systems we have now, you can accomplish a lot with a really complete one step. You can accomplish a lot. And actually, the more talented somebody is with a polisher, the more robust they are with a one step. So this whole idea that you're only a real specialist, if you pull a rotary out with some wool, show me what a guy can do with a true one step correction, and I'll show you a guy that can work the hell out of a polisher. Um, that's my two cents because I can work a rotary. I proved it on stories. I haven't picked up a rotary and done massive work and how long it took me five seconds to burn down a whole hood to no defects. I mean, I proved it to everybody with an old wool pad here. Here's what we get into. Some of the ego stuff that goes on risks cars long-term. If you want to risk a car long-term, that's your decision to do that. I'm well, not going to stand risk? my, what's the, well, risk? the risk is you're going to have failure or paint system to think that it's not going to fail. Anybody that's been in this long enough has looked at a car and said that failed, not because of the manufacturer, but because somebody improperly detailed that car, took it too far, sanded it too far, buffed it too far, whatever the case may be. And I don't think I'm in the business of tearing cars apart like that. I think I'm in the preservation business, making it a great car for my customer Look, we do a ton of Ferrari work. I say this all the time. There's very few that come out of the factory worse than Ferrari, <laughs> any manufacturer, okay? 
if I really attack every single Ferrari that's in bad shape, there's not going to be a lot of Ferraris with paint in the next 10 years. It's a reality. People need to face that. And I can always tell a little bit about somebody's ego. It's like, dude, I can churn and burn every paint job I touch. I can, I can wool, rotary, hack it down, finish out, everything will look like glass. What am I risking? Well, a lot of people think you have to, to do full quote unquote correction. You've got to, you've got to knock it down real hard. Use a compound, you know, dedicated compound, ded dedicated cutting pad. I mean, my first step is grabbing a mid-range polish and a wool polishing pad, like a Rufus, you know, polishing pad and seeing what that does. I'd rather make two or three passes with that combination and, and finish out properly, not having to maybe do another step than, you know, wool, foam, intermediate, final step, you know, do all that and save time. David, why do yeah. you think there's such a love right now um you guys have both mentioned ego is that what you think it is like why is there this sudden surge in over the past years for so much sanding now, there's just everybody seems to want to sand cars now it's a skill set that not everybody has um it's a very i, I would have to say probably the the most insignificant i think skill that most detailers have um, but the ones that have it like to really, you know, tell that they know how to do it. Um, I, Why do you say it's insignificant? Because insignificant for me, at least, because I very rarely stand anything. I, I don't have a need for it. Even when I'm doing newer paint jobs, um, that's it, the last thing I want to do is pull out sandpaper unless I have to. Um, you know, if we're not removing orange peel. Um, again, I'd rather massage a scratch out with a less combination than just saw it down that's that's my opinion but there are some guys that really are skilled at sanding you know jason kilmer um people like that that that's their business of sanding cars good i'm not that person so i don't i don't Sand, man. Yeah, yeah yeah i just don't cater to that yeah i i, I was very fortunate in 99 2000 2001 i was taught how to sand entire cars I was working for somebody at the time that they they really rehabbed beat up cars to look good uh, at dealerships and things like that. But they were really skilled with sandpaper. They just were. I mean, it, it was a skill they had. They'd kind of grown up in the paint world. I sanded a lot of cars and, and sanding sucks. Like really sanding a car is not enjoyable. There's not a ton of money in it unless you know how to charge. Yeah. Um, Especially when you have a massive case of OCD. <laughs> yeah, there's a good point. And, and and look, it's really fun to learn. It is. After the learning, it sucks. Because <laughs> you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to sand this whole door. I don't want to sand this whole side. But now I've sanded the whole side. Now the texture doesn't match on the other side. I got to sand the whole car. I mean, there's a lot of can of worms that comes with sanding, actually, that people don't think about when it comes to texture. But for me, it's a great skill if you have it. And if you can charge for it, more power to you. There is a, a logical conversation to be had with some of the new sanding techniques of the scuff and buff technique, where you can keep panels really, really cool and, and maybe go with a 3,500 to 5,000 grit and get that top layer oxidation off of some sensitive paint systems. But man, that's such technical work. That's really hard to assess, you know, that you have to do that. And that's a really, really tiny percentage. 
but again, it gets a lot of likes on Instagram and Facebook. People love seeing it. And, uh, I'm not going to bash the sanding because I, you know, I did a lot of it, uh, when I was taught, but I look at it now and I'm like, I'm like, David, I'm, I'm uninterested. It's not, it, it, it can just open up a lot of problems and, and guys go into paint systems. And again, David kind of referenced it, but the thing I do is, is least aggressive to most aggressive when you're going right to that sanding box. I don't know, man. That's, that's a tough, that's a tough egg to, to say that that's great practice to do all the time. And we all we've referenced on here. I saw somebody cut up a 2019, 2020 Toyota Tundra with sandpaper, a rotary and admit on his Instagram, Hey, you can never cut this car again. Wow. That's, that's a really tough thing to do on a brand new truck basically, because now the next detailer, no matter how, how accurate you think a paint, paint depth gauge is it's not that accurate it just isn't it, it, it's it, you know really accurate stuff is ten fifteen thousand dollars to measure substrates etc you know a little five hundred dollar deal isn't going to get you're it's just an idea it's not it's not as accurate as people believe so to do that on a car i'm not interested in that and asian manufacturers are the worst at putting quality paint on cars as far as like they try to skimp on the amount of materials at all cost possible they're still putting single stage finishes out you know on whites and reds and blacks and stuff you'll find them you know sneaking those in well marty i I proved that on a white toyota yeah Uh, the white toyota started to oxidize the minute that it left that factory there's no reason that that white should be that oxidized it's just poor and what people need to understand it's a great thing asian manufacturers care about one thing their cars running a long time they don't care about your interior comfort they don't care about what the exterior looks like. They just don't. And the weird thing is, is that the NSX for a little like, you know, to nerd out a little bit actually has one of the more advanced paint systems, but you have to pay for it. They actually make you upgrade your car build by saying, do you want a 10000 20000 $30,000 paint system, which is great for them because they were never going to do it right out of the factory. You might as well, you know, upgrade with them to a better system. Aren't they made here? Aren't they made in the U.S.? Yeah, Marysville. Yeah, they're they're made it. They're made in Ohio, and they actually make. They have the most advanced paint ordering system besides like Rolls Royce and those. Let's let's drop drop those out. But you have to, if you want great paint on their NSX, they're basically telling you you better upgrade to these different systems because we're not very good at it. So it's a great point by David. Is like, I I mean, they just oxidize right when they see the sea air, basically. (laughs) When they hit the port. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Great talk. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the info, your little background, and um, diving into what is needed and what isn't needed. We're gonna hop over to the community pub here in a minute. Uh, we'll take a little break and hop over. But uh, any last closing thoughts, Nick? I think it's always great to talk with somebody like David who's got experience because what you see is the ego's gone and he's doing what's right for the cars. And that's what should come across from, from people that have been doing this a long time. And it doesn't always come across from us, but that's what I want people to hear is, Hey man, do what's right for the car and the customer. And, and this can be a long profitable business for you. Stop looking at Instagram, stop looking at Facebook and thinking everybody's just hatcheting paint down to make it look perfect. That's not everyday work. That's not even all collection work. I mean, we take care of collections. Not all, not all collections are bare bones. Let's get them to look like glass. That's not realistic, even of the top end work. 
So, you know, do what's right for the car, explain that to your customer. Most of the time they're going to let you do what's right for the car because they don't know any better. So I hope that comes across in these little kinds of discussions. Yeah. David, closing thoughts. I agree. Know your customer, know the car, um, know uh, if the risks are going to exceed the rewards. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just having knowledge and experience, being able to, to make a right decision. Cool. Newbies, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, All right. I'm going to go grab me a beer and uh, we'll be back. Hop on the community pub and uh, we'll see you soon guys. All right, fellas. Much for listening to that episode. And if you got any value out of it, hey, go share it. Go let people know what you heard on the Pints of Polishing podcast. And listen, if you want to leave us a review, we would love that. You know, five star, one star. Hey, whatever you think we deserve, if you would leave us a review, Greatly appreciate that. And thank you so much for being a part of community.